So I have a confession to make to all of you, but I have a feeling all of, some of you are going to be like, oh, yeah, me too. I can't, vis- I can't mentally grasp that we're in December. I can't. Like, I'm still in like mid to early November. I just, my mind can't get here yet. And it's not because I'm a Scrooge. It's just like, man, time goes so fast. Thankfully though, my wife, Casey and I, we have a nine-year-old daughter named Kate and she's been anticipating December since July. And so like we've been counting down. So last week when we were decorating for Christmas, Kate, our nine-year-old daughter took it upon herself to make one of these. You've seen these before, right? A Christmas chain. And this hangs by one of the doors in our house and every link represents a day. And so every morning, Every morning with all the excitement of a nine-year-old, she'll run over and she's like, yes, we're one day closer to Christmas. Isn't this amazing? This is so, this is so incredible. And when you're a kid, man, isn't that exciting? You're like, oh, another one bites the dust. Let's do this thing. When you're a kid, you can say, tis the season to be jolly. And you mean it because you're just waiting for everything that's coming your way. But I hate to tell you, kids, when you're an adult... You're not like, yay, it's December. You're like, how? How did this happen? Where, where's, where's the time warp? And so when you're an adult, you don't sing, tis the season to be jolly. I rewrote the words for all of you. Tis the season to go crazy. Can we skip to January? Fa la 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 la, right? It's a great time of year. It's a wonderful time of year. The problem is it's just so busy. I mean, I see some of you nodding right now. It is so crazy. I have talked to three or four people this week, young and old. Like when, when you see a 20-year-old look at you and they're like, what is up with December? I'm like, oh man, you just, just wait. You just wait, right? Because it's, it's all the gifts you have to buy and it's all the money you're gonna spend and it's all the people you need to see and all the places you need to go. Did I mention the shopping that still needs to be done, right? Like you can feel, you can feel that way. Our family gets extra Christmas bonus this year. We've got an out-of-town wedding in the middle of it all. And we love the family. We're excited to go. We love Christmas. It's just like, holy cow, how are we gonna do how are we gonna do all of this? And I know it's not just us. I know you guys feel this way too. So last week we began this series called Travel Light. And in this series, as we approach Christmas, we know that we're gonna be weighed down with things like worry and busyness and loneliness and despair. Those are weighty, heavy things. But in this series, we wanna learn, learn how to let go of those weights so we can learn to live the life that God has for us. And it's not to carry that stuff around, it's to let go of those things and to live differently. And last week, Dan talked about how to let go of things like worry and anxiety. And if you missed it, I wanna encourage you to go listen to it. It was a really encouraging story that focused in on on the book of Philippians where Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Go back and check it out again. But today, we're going to learn how to let go of busyness in the middle of a crazy and chaotic season. Now, think about this. Busyness has become a key characteristic of the American way of life. It's just who we are. We wear it like a badge of honor. We, We... It's like a trophy. Like, look how busy I am. Look how special and important I must be. We love all the busyness. We hate it and we love it all at the same time. And for a lot of us, that busyness begins with the work that we do. Here's some statistics that I don't know that they'll surprise you, but I think we need to be aware of them. According to a recent study, somewhere around 75% of Americans reported that they regularly work more than 40 hours a week. Now, that didn't surprise me too much, but other studies also show that while many of us are working more than 40 hours a week, a lot of people are saying, I still don't have time to get everything done. 
I'm working all these hours and it's just it's piling up over and over and over again. On top of that, another study showed that only 57% of Americans are taking all of their vacation time. We're too busy working to take time to rest and then to, to enjoy life. There was a New York Times article that pointed out that 15 years ago, when the smartphone was invented, it changed the way we vacation because it allowed us to bring work with us everywhere we go. Anybody ever taken work on vacation? That is a big no-no, but we all do it anyway, right? We don't think it's gonna hurt anything. Uh, CNN reported that in a six-year study of over 2,500 workers, the people that worked over 11 hours a day were two and a half times more likely to become depressed than people that worked an average of eight hours. A day. But it's not just depression. That's not the only side effect. Our busy lifestyles are causing us to sleep less. And this is, this is what gets me. Sleep deprivation is the leading cause in health issues like obesity and diabetes. We just keep running all the time. We, can't, we don't know how to slow down. But it's not just work. If you're a parent, you've got kids and they keep us busy and they've got things to do at school. And it's all good stuff. It's just, it keeps us busy. Some of us have the added responsibility of caring for sick and aging parents. That's a big thing. If you're a student, you're juggling school and sports and theater and band. And then some of you have jobs on top of it all. I mean, that's just, it's going to keep you busy and you're just getting started. It didn't get any better. I don't know how to tell you that. <laughs> One girl, an IU student this, this week summarized the way we feel in December best. I, this is so great. She posted this on social media. She said, going to school in between Thanksgiving and Christmas break feels like the last lap of Mario Kart where the, the music just plays faster and everything gets crazy. <laughs> Happy December. Merry Christmas. The weight of busyness, it is crushing. It is crushing for all of us. But here's the thing. We bring it on. Think about all the things that we do to waste time. All the mindless scrolling that we do the three fantasy football leagues that we just have to be in, the video games that we play, the shows that we binge. We complain about being busy, but we do a lot of that to ourselves. And so here's the question, like, what are we gaining? What are we hoping to gain? In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer notes that our busyness is contributing to things like irritability, hypersensitivity, restlessness, workaholism, emotional numbness, isolation from God and others. That's the worst part of it all. And so whether we realize it or not, busyness is a dangerous business. It is killing us. It's pulling us away from things that matter the most. And so how do we, how do we live any differently? What, what are we going to do to change things? If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10, because today we're going to look at a story, at an interaction that Jesus had with two people, and he's going to identify busyness. He's going to say, there's a better way, there's a better way to live. Now, this story is familiar for a lot of us. It's actually a very polarizing story. It's about two sisters named Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha are mentioned on numerous occasions throughout the Gospels. Jesus would travel to their house. They were great friends of Jesus. In fact, Jesus loved Mary and Martha so much that when their brother died, Jesus brought him back from the dead. These people were very special to Jesus. He was definitely on their Christmas card list for sure. So let's jump into this story. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Here's how it begins. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. So Luke tells us 
that when Jesus's friend Martha hears that he's coming from town, she's like, Jesus, you have to come and stay with us. Please, you've got to come and stay. Now, remember, they were friends. This isn't a business lunch for Jesus. This is a place where he gets to go to chill out and relax with people that he loves. He doesn't have to be special for them. He just gets to be who he is. And I want you to think about how amazing it would be to host Jesus for a couple hours in your home. Think about the conversations you could have. Think about the questions that you could ask. But here's the thing. Verse 38 doesn't tell us that it was Jesus. Look at this. It was Jesus and his disciples, which isn't just a plus one. It's like a plus 12. Now, if you're Martha and you've invited Jesus in and there's 12 other guys coming and it's believed they were all middle school, middle school, high school age, potentially, right? Can you imagine that chaos in your home? Like Martha's life just got, I would say, a little complicated. Let's keep reading. Verse 39, Martha had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Now, I think there is theological evidence to suggest that this took place during December. Here's why. You already get the joke, right? They're all in a home. They're all in the living room and the kids are fighting. Merry Christmas. Yay. All right. Merry Christmas, Jesus. We're so glad that you came to visit us. Hey, by the way, my sister's being a cotton-headed ninny muggins. She's not helping me. Would you tell her to get off her lazy rear and get over here and help me, right? This phrase, tell her to help me, Mark Moore points out, it literally, it's a phrase that was described, used to describe two oxen working together under one yoke. It literally can be translated, tell her to do her fair share. That sounds fair. Martha's like, there's lots to do. Tell my sister to do her fair share. And it's hard for us to not to want to jump to Martha's defense, right? 13 hungry young men just walked into your house. And you know what that means? That means somebody needs to go throughout the house and check all the bathrooms and flush all the toilets to make sure the kids didn't leave a surprise for somebody. It means somebody needs to get and, and like wipe all the toothpaste off the mirrors. Somebody needs to go into the living room and pick up all the socks and shirts that are laying around. And please, would somebody do the dishes, take out the trash, and please light a candle because it smells funky in here. We got people coming over, right? I don't know about you, but that's kind of the drill at our home. And that seems to be what's happening in Martha's home. And I think Martha's thinking, there's so much to get done. And if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. I need some help. But here's what we're going to see. Jesus is going to teach Mary and Martha, and he's going to teach us that there are some things in life that can wait. There is more to life. There's more to life than getting things done. So we're going to go back and look at verses 39 and 40 again. And I want you to pay attention to what Luke tells us about both of these women and the way they approach Jesus. Let's go back. So here's Mary. Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he had to say. And in light of everything else, you're thinking, man, she's lazy. Like my assumption was, I bet she was the third born. I bet she learned how everything worked. And she's like, I know how to dodge this. I'm going to get out of some work here, right? But there's actually a detail that's hidden down in the text that we would run right past. It was, it, it was kind of uh, practiced in those days that rabbis would sit on small stools or, or pillows on the floor and their disciples would gather around them on mats and they would sit at a, a, the rabbi's feet. This is where we get the phrase, sitting at someone's feet. And so to sit at someone's feet was a sign of being their disciple. It was a sign of respect, a sign of honor. You were sitting to listen 
to what they had to say. So here's what's happening. Mary is not being lazy. She's not shoving work off on her sister. She's actually being wise and intentional with the time she has with Jesus right there in front of her. Now compare that to her sister, Martha. We learned this, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. The word distracted literally means to be pulled or to be dragged away. Is it ever good? I can't think of a single situation where it's good to be described as distracted. We hear all the warnings of being a distracted driver because you can go off the road, you can kill somebody, right? Is it ever good? If, man, if somebody were to ever ask my wife and kids, hey, tell me about Jerry. Oh, he's great. He's just always distracted. All that would kill me, right? It's never good to be described as distracted. And what we learn here is that Martha was distracted. There was all this stuff that needed to get done. She wanted to be with Jesus, apparently, but she got pulled away by all these other things. But isn't that how busyness works? Your phone keeps buzzing and dinging. You got another text message just came in, a coworker or a friend needs to talk. And you get off the phone and then you look back down and you realize, why do I have three unopened voicemails? Where did those come from? Who are they? And oh, an invite just came in and now you're triple booked on that really busy day. And you're, you're like, can I make it to all three things? And, and then you pick up the phone and your wife's like, hey, the, the water heater's leaking. Isn't that fun? And oh, by the way, one of the kids has the flu. They're going to be home for several days. And your boss is looking for you and he has questions. Busy, busy, busy. There are literally countless distractions that are going to, like, just think about tomorrow. Think of all the distractions that are waiting on you. Anybody anxious now, Right. All those things are going to come flying at us, and some of them are going to be really important. They're all going to need your attention in some way or another, but they all also have the potential to pull us away, to drag us away from something that's more important in the moment. And so Luke tells us, Martha was distracted. But in fairness to Martha, she was not distracted with Facebook. She wasn't distracted with her three fantasy football leagues. She wasn't distracted with Christmas shopping. She was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. The tension was building. Does that sound familiar? So here's a question. How are you doing? How are you doing at managing the busyness of life? How do you respond when all the distractions pull you in a million different directions like Martha? Now, I don't know about the rest of you. I'm going to guess that you're a lot like me, but I don't do well with this. At all. In fact, you could ask my wife and kids. They'll tell you a million stories on me. And I got one for you because apparently I've got a new bad habit, according to my wife. Recently, I say it like that, but it's true, okay? Recently, I've been doing this thing where about a mile before we get to where we're going, we're driving. You know what I do? I take my seatbelt off because that's the safe thing to do. I do it before we pull into the neighborhood. I do it before I pull into the parking lot here. I was running late for coffee the other day. I was like, oh, there's the parking garage. Click. Like, I, I don't have a plan to just start running out of my car. I'm like, I'm so important. I'm here to meet with you. But apparently that's what's going on inside of my brain. Like, I got to be wherever I'm going next. And I thank my wife. I was like, I know that you care about me. She's like, it's not you. I don't want the kids being like that. Like, just knock it off. <laughs> she loves me. So for me, the distractions and the busyness of my life literally have me feeling like I have to run. And I'm not enjoying where I am. I am distracted about the next three things. And it's not strategic. It's just foolish. So that's it for me. What is it for you? 
How, how are you responding? I want you to hear how Jesus responds to Martha in the midst of her distractions. Martha, Martha. Put your name there. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. You are worried. You are upset about so many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it's not going to be taken away from her. Can I give you a little insight? I think Jesus is making a mistake here. Don't tell him I said this. He is comparing two women that are in the same room that are sisters. I don't know what he's thinking is going to happen. He's Jesus. He lives by a different set of rules, I guess. Now, it's easy for us to read this and to think, he must be really mad at Martha. He said her name twice. I don't think he's mad at her. I think he's trying to get her attention. I think he's saying, hey, whoa, 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 calm down a little bit. And, and Luke tells us that it's Martha that opened her home to Jesus. That's a good thing. Hospitality was, was so important in the first century, just like it is today. But at some point, Martha's desire to get stuff done drug her away, distracted her away from the opportunity to hang out with Jesus in her home. I heard one pastor refer to this as a spiritual disorder known as Martholepsy, where we work really hard. We trick ourselves into thinking, I'm going to do all these things to make God happy instead of just enjoying who he is, enjoying time with him and starting there first. Pastor and author J.D. Greer refers to this as the, the myth that our busyness equals faithfulness. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand to see if you can relate. The myth here, this is dangerous. I think this might be one of the most dangerous myths that American Christians have bought into because we get busy with all this stuff to think that we're, we, we want ourselves to feel important. And it translates into our spiritual lives where we do stuff. We go through all these spiritual exercises. We make public appearances and sing songs with people, but we're really not being spiritual. We're just busy. And I think this is what Jesus is confronting with Martha. Look at what he says in verse 41. Martha, Martha, you are worried and you are upset about many things. Now, some translations use the word anxious and troubled, but I don't think it matters if it's anxious or troubled or worried or upset. All of those things to me, they seem to be symptoms of fear. And have you noticed that our fears tend to fuel our busyness? I mean, maybe, maybe Martha was afraid, since it's her home, if the work doesn't get done, it's going to reflect poorly on me. And this is Jesus that we're talking about. You can understand that, right? Maybe she was afraid that if she didn't do it, it wasn't going to get done. I think some of us can relate to that. If you're a people pleaser, you're afraid to let people down. And so it's, yes, 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 yes. And in your mind, you're thinking, I don't even know how that's possible. I hope I die before it gets here, because there's no way I can do all that. It's a fear of failure. We want to think that we, bring, we have to bring all the value. We're afraid to fail. We're afraid that we're going to fall behind or that we can't keep up. So we just keep chasing all these things. Now, if you had to guess, if we were guessing collectively, what do we think Martha's so anxious about? Now, I'm going to guess, I'm going to speculate that she was anxious about preparing a meal. And again, scripture teaches us that Jesus's disciples, they were probably late teens, early 20s. I have one of those. I have a couple of those in my house. They're never full. So if she's got to feed him, she's like, oh, this is going to be bad, right? But here, if, if that's true, here's what's really interesting. This happens in Luke 10. If you turn the page and go back one page to Luke 9, you know what Luke records for us? The time when Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 men. 
food was not a problem for Jesus. He could take care of it. But I bet if Martha's like me, and I bet if Martha's like you, it's probably easy for her to allow the chaos of today to erase the miracle of yesterday. You ever had that happen? You've seen God's faithfulness, but you're so busy today, you're like, I can't even remember that. I'm, I'm stuck where I am right now. So listen to what Jesus says. Martha, Martha, you're worried, you're upset about so many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taking, taken away from her. They're both in the room, and Jesus is like, Martha, I love you, but your sister Mary, she made a better decision. She chose something better. Now, what exactly did Mary choose? I'm going to try to answer that question by asking you another question. What would be more important than giving your full attention to Jesus in the moment? Can you think of anything more important than giving Jesus your full attention in that moment? And in the midst of everything that was going on around Mary, all these people that just walked in, Mary chose to spend time with Jesus first. She allowed her love for Jesus to guide her response to Jesus. And her response was to sit at his feet and to enjoy time with him before she did anything else that needed to be done. Think about that. It needed to be done. But she chose time with Jesus first. And for the record, I do not think Jesus is downplaying the value of hard work. I don't think that's the point of this story. I, I don't think that he was frustrated with Martha's efforts. I don't think that Martha was necessarily a workaholic. I just think in this moment, she got distracted from something that mattered more. And so as Jesus often does, he takes this really common everyday problem that you and I have, and he says, hey, let me teach you something about me and about you. He teaches it to Martha, but he's teaching it to all of us. Look at this. Jesus is teaching us that the time we spend with him is more valuable to him than anything we could do for him. And I just want you to like, let that settle in. This is the story of Mary and Martha. The time that we spend with Jesus is more valuable to him than anything, anything we could try to do for him. Now, I get that right here. I get it. But it, 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 I don't let it get to here. I like to try to believe that all the things that I do make me feel important, right? It's tangible. I can measure it. I can check a box. And Jesus is like, I, I'm sorry. That our time together is more valuable than anything. I created you. I can help you do things, but I want to be with you first. I don't want my kids running around doing a bunch of stuff for me. I want to enjoy my time with my kids. Same thing goes for him. By the way, this is the message of the gospel. Everything that needed to be done, Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. He said, it is finished. It's done. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. Enjoy me. By faith, rest in God's grace. Receive that gift. And I believe that at the end of the day, all of this comes down to a matter of worship for us. It's easy for us to think that the best way we can worship Jesus is by being busy for him. And you know, faithful service to Jesus, it's really important, but that's not where it starts. Our worship with Jesus does not begin by the things we can do for him. Our worship, true worship, begins by learning to sit and be with him first and enjoying him for who he is and what he has done for us. And so like Mary, true worship begins when we learn to delight in his presence. We delight in his presence. We're excited to be with him. It's a response of love. 
It's a response of faith and submission, saying, Jesus, you're first. And I'm going to give you this time now, and I'm going to trust that you can take care of all the other things that are going to happen later. I think Warren Wiersbe summarizes this really well. This is what he says. This is his summary of Mary and Martha. Unless we meet Christ personally and privately each day, we're going to end up like Martha. We're going to be busy and not blessed. Would you rather be busy or would you rather be blessed? Wiersbe says, we got to start with Jesus first. Here's my big takeaway. I've read this story a number of times. This is what I'm walking away with as someone with Martholepsy. Worship and work are both important. God has created us to do and to enjoy both. They're both important. They are not equal. And there's an order. Worship is meant to come first. Our worship informs our work. The psalmist knew this. Listen to Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. He speaks to this tension. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain. You waste your time getting up early and staying up late, working for food to eat, because God grants sleep to those he loves. You know what the psalmist is saying here? Work without worship is worthless. You're just wasting your time. You're just spinning your wheels. Worship is meant to come first, and it happens first at the feet of Jesus. So where do we begin in the midst of this crazy, busy, chaotic holiday season? How can we apply this principle to worship Jesus first? Well, I think we need to start where Martha started. Martha got it right. Look at this. This is how the whole thing starts. Martha opened her home to Jesus. She heard that he was coming and said, oh, please, please, would you please come and stay here? Please. She just got tripped up on the details after that. But I think if we start where Martha starts, it's a great place to begin. So what would it look like for you to invite Jesus into your home? What would it look like for you to invite Jesus into your relationships and into your marriage and into your parenting, into your finances, into your gift giving, into your studies? What would it look like for you to invite Jesus into your heart? And I know some of you are thinking that's a very pastor question to ask straight out of his word. What would it look like for us to begin there? And by the way, the best way to let go of busyness in the midst of all of this is to find ways to have margin. And to, creating margin isn't one more thing. Margin is white space. It's empty space so that we can be with Jesus first. So creating margin, it's not putting it to the top. It's actually saying no and letting go of lots of other things, letting balls drop that don't matter so that we can put him first and trust that he's gonna take care of other things. Jesus didn't create us to be busy and crazy. He created us for margin, margin to be with him. So what would it look like for you to create some margin in your life to worship Jesus first this season? Okay, this is really simple. You know this. I'm gonna tell you something that you know that you can do, but this isn't one more thing. It's making space to do this. What would happen? Imagine what could happen if we started giving the first 10 minutes of our day to Jesus and we just like literally sat at his feet. We didn't show up to accomplish anything. We didn't even say anything. We just sat there and admitted, look, I'm a mess. My mind's spinning. I'm just going to sit here and be with you. I did something this morning that I've never done before. 
I love getting up early, sipping on coffee and looking at the Christmas tree. My family was still asleep. I physically made myself sing Christmas carols to Jesus. I love a Christmas tree, but it, the Christmas tree is not about me. So I made myself sit there. And I was terrified that somebody was going to come down and hear, my, hear me in my morning voice. But I was like, it didn't matter. It's not about me. So what if we would give him 10 minutes to just sit and be and soak up that time with him and then move towards like reading something about him? This year, we've been reading through the Gospel of John. You can go back and do that. Next year, we're going to read through the book of Acts. You can start early. Don't wait on us. We'll catch up. What if we spent some time just reading God's word and letting it speak to us? Now, we want to help you do this. Really simple thing that you can do. Go, down, go download the YouVersion Bible app. Free app, tons of different translations. On top of that, if you go to the homepage, there's lots of different Christmas devotionals that you can do, okay? We've linked this one to our app. This is the Genesis Church app, Anticipating Christmas. It's a five-day Advent plan. It's got some basic scriptures, some basic thoughts. It can guide you through this time if you don't know what to do. But this is an easy, this is so simple, you guys. This is a spiritual discipline that we all need to develop. And this isn't just being a good Christian. This is learning how to sit at Jesus's feet. Now, you might know this already, but the word Advent comes from a Latin word that means coming or arrival. So when we celebrate Advent, we are celebrating the arrival of Jesus as our Savior. He was born into this world. Okay, that's what Advent means. Advent is the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas Eve. So this year, Advent started last Sunday. Today's week two. We have three more before Christmas Eve gets here. Now, I am not proud to admit this, but last week, our family did what we did. We do every year. Friday after Thanksgiving, we decorate for Christmas. We set up the tree. We put lights on it. We decorated the outside of the house. Everything looked great. Here's the problem. We decorated for Christmas, but we didn't celebrate Advent. We forgot to set this up. We got out everything else, and somehow we managed to leave the most important part out. And if you read the Christmas story in Luke 2, you do not read about Christmas trees. You don't read about the Grinch. You don't read about well-lit homes. You read about a virgin named Mary who took God at his word. She gave birth to a boy named Jesus who was the son of God who would die on the cross to pay for our sins. Advent is the beginning of everything else that we celebrate in our faith. And I just, when I, when I realized that's what happened, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so much like Martha. I'm so busy. What would it look like for us to make the Christmas season about this and not forget all the other stuff, but put everything in its place? What would it look like for us to sit at Jesus's feet this Christmas? So as we wrap up, we're gonna do something that we've been trying to do these last few weeks. And I just wanna invite you to respond. We've got a couple of songs left, okay? Like two and a half songs, lots of time. I wanna challenge you not just to sing, but to worship, to turn your heart to Jesus and worship and sing to him. But we're also gonna have some staff and some volunteers over here way off to the side to pray with you. Maybe you need to pray through worry and anxiety. Maybe you need to pray through your busyness. Or maybe today you need to pray and say, Jesus, I wanna invite you into my life. We've got people that would love to pray with you. And I just, I know the Holy Spirit's whispering to you. Be brave, be bold. Come and allow someone to pray with you as we worship him. Let that be the first step of sitting at his feet. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. 
would you please forgive us? Man, please forgive us. Help us to repent of the sin of busyness where we just go, go, go and do, do, do. And we, we forget you entered into at the world you created to become like us, to save us, to rescue us. Would you help us to learn how to adore you, how to worship you, how to rest in you? Whenever we see a nativity scene, whenever we hear our favorite Christmas carol, would you spark a thought and help us to slow down in that moment and say, oh my gosh, thank you. I, we give you this time. We want it to be honoring to you. We don't even want to feel good coming out. We just want it to be all about you. But I pray that you would call people forward that need to pray. Help them to take a step. Help us to take a step in learning how to sit at your feet, Jesus. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.